Let me uh, open us in a word of prayer as we get briefly uh, to today's message. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, uh, we just, we call to you, God. We call to you because you've asked us to in times such as these. And so, Lord, we ask you to show us and, and guide us into the future. We are a confused people, and we're starting to become overwhelmed. Uh, I know, just we just know looking at the, the, the prayers on the bulletin, and that those represent just a fraction of what's happening. And we see it in our church, and we see it in our community, and around us with family and friends. Lord, there's, there's special affliction and pain taking place. So God, show us what you'd have us do. And God, would you also give us hope? We know, God, that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is faith, hope, and love that by faith in Christ, we have everlasting life. That because of Jesus' love for us, we have the the spiritual capacity to love others with the love of Christ. And that because of what Jesus did for us, we have hope that no one else has. Hope that no one enduring the pain that we are even enduring now could ever hope to cope with without You. God, there is no hope without You. And so let us too now be a people who avidly proclaims Your hope every day and every Lord's Day today that we would proclaim Your hope and that this day would be a day of reminding ourselves that as bad as it can be, as hard as the day-to-day is and as, as wide as the problems are, Lord, that they pale in comparison. That these temporary afflictions pale in comparison to what You are working in us in the kingdom of God. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what our eyes are on. If we're to have hope, that's where our eyes need to be, Lord. So keep them there. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I've intentionally split this up today having uh, inclination that we would need to. So thankfully, uh, my inclination was correct. Or else we'd be here till 12, folks. Do you want to be here till 12? Sure? You're going to start falling asleep if we're here till 12. I already know you lost an hour last night. How many of you, uh, how many of you really are feeling it this morning after losing that hour? Only a few of you. Only a few of you. Not bad. The rest of you are just chipper as you'll get. As good as it gets. Well, hey, uh, I've got a real interesting, uh, exercise for you to do, and I'm gonna ask AV in the back just to prepare a a light instrumental music as we do this. I wanna ask you to, to fill out some questions, and these are strange questions, but there's a purpose for it. It says in your outline, I want to make sure everybody has an outline. If you don't have an outline, uh, raise your hand and we will get you an outline. Grab a pen. Uh, the ushers can uh, pass out some extras if, if need be. But on your outline, I've written this. Write down the first names, or you can put initials if you'd like. And it, actually, before we do, I forgot to do this. I'd like you to spread out just a little bit. I'd like you to spread out. 
I'd like you to give yourself a little space between one another. So everybody spread out down the pew. Go ahead. I want you sitting apart from one another. All right? Sit, give a little bit of space to one another. I, I want to, you know, more than just a balloon here. I want uh, a few balloons worth, right? This is just you and the Lord right now. Just you and the Lord. I want you to write down the first names of those to whom these questions apply, whether presently, whether it's happening now, or in the past, if the relationship is still unresolved. And these are, these are hard questions. Who are your enemies? Who hates and curses you? Who uses and takes advantage of you? Who publicly humiliates you? Who harms you? Who takes legal action against you? Who steals from you? You can put first names or initials, whatever you'd like, and I want this private, and that's why I'm asking you to spread out because it might be the person next to you. Hopefully not. I'm kidding. I really hope not, or else you come talk to me afterwards. But I expect you to have some answers here, and if you can't think of answers, then I want you to think of people who think this toward you, whether justified or not. Maybe they, can, they think from their perspective that you're their enemy. And so I want you to take three minutes and answer these questions. You might have different names for different questions. Take a few minutes and write down first names or initials of people to whom these questions apply. Go ahead. Well, that was a fun exercise, wasn't it? Not really. You might be thinking, Pastor Neil, that's, uh, that's a really awful thing to do in church. <laughs> You're making me write down my enemies list. Why would you do that? Why do you want me meditating on these things? I hope you have some names down. You might think that, wow, a lot of these questions just really don't apply to me, but, but perhaps you were able to think of them from a past perspective or from the perspective of others who may think this way toward you, whether justified or not. I hope you will also recognize that there is a real valid reason for this exercise. And it is because in the next set of teaching in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is truly going to relay some of the most radical teaching of the New Testament. He is about to speak words that we've heard before but I think we've really rarely heard. 
in full force. He's about to speak words that we've heard before, but that we've never, it's never truly sunk in deep enough to recognize, my goodness, this is some of the most radical teaching I've ever heard in my life. But in order for you to get a grasp of Jesus' teaching and its radicalness, how mind-blowing it really is, you need to have some names on that list. You do. They might not be names that you're choosing because of your own perspective, but they, they may be names that others uh, come, that, that come to mind that others uh, think toward you. And so if you were having trouble putting a name down, I want you to, to go home later today and think through the list again. There might just be one name. For me, there was you know, a handful. For others of you, you might have had 10 or 20. You, you're like, I need more time. But until you have at least one name down, you will not appreciate the full force of Jesus' teaching here. And this is Jesus' teaching. Would you stand with me as we read from Luke 6, verses 27 to 38. Luke 6, 27 to 38. Jesus says this to his disciples. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and let and lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you. You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is What to Do with My Enemies List. Part one of two. What to do with my enemies list. Today we're actually only going to cover the first three verses. uh, Two verses, excuse me of this portion of Luke. But I wanted to read the context of the section for us to be aware of it, and I want to ask us to be meditating upon it in the coming week. Verse 27 again, 
and 28. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Wow. What great teaching. These are some of the the greatest platitudes of the Christian faith. They're our our memory verse for the month of March. That's uh, why we chose this as our memory verse. It's such a a wonderful uh, teaching of Christ that speak of the platitudes of the Christian faith. When you think of what it means to be distinctly Christian, some of these things are what come to our mind. And we know them well. When you have enemies, Jesus would have us Love them. Love them. How should we show them love? Well, Jesus explains how we are to show our enemies love with three succinct statements. Those statements are found in the remainder of verses 27 and 28. These are three statements of generality, if you will, that he'll now continue to unpack as we go through the rest of Luke 6. Here are those three succinct statements. How do we love our enemies? This is how. Number one, on, your, on the back of your outline, do good to those who hate you. Number two, bless those who curse you. And number three, pray for those who spitefully use you. Now I want to focus first on those last two elements, the elements of blessing those who, who curse you and praying for those who spitefully use you. Because you see, they're really part and parcel of the same thing. To bless and to pray is uh, both an exercise in which uh, really words are being used. And so these two we might uh, combine as one, in fact. The word bless there in Greek is the Greek word eulogeo, from which we get the English term, anyone, anyone? Eulogy, correct. Eulogy, right? And what's a eulogy? A eulogy is a a situation generally in a funeral in which, or memorial service in which we we eulogize. We, We speak words of blessing about the deceased, about someone who has died. And we give a eulogy, give a a word of blessing about their life, a word of praise, a word of honor, uh, words of, uh, of just great uh, glory and recognition of the person and, and the praiseworthy aspects that marked their life. Eulogeo in Greek, to bless. It means to speak well of someone. To speak words of blessing, a benediction, if you will, a prayer upon them for their welfare, for their well-being. And for some of you, that just stopping right there and saying, okay, bless those who curse you, speak well of, speak a prayer of blessing toward those who curse you and those who use me, who take advantage of me, boy, pastor, that already seems hard. And we're not even through the rest of Luke 6. That already seems extremely difficult to do and we're just getting started in Jesus' teaching on this subject. You might be thinking, well, uh, look, I'm, 
okay, Jesus, bless them, pray for, okay, I, well, I don't bless them, Lord, but at least I don't speak ill of them, right? That's how many Christians respond to this teaching. They, they read it, they see what Jesus is saying, he says, love your enemies, and they're looking at those words and then it comes to, you know, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. And in our minds, in many of our minds, as we sit there listening to the words of Christ there, we might think, well, okay, I, hey, I don't actively speak words of blessing upon them, but at least I'm not speaking ill of them. I mean, I, I don't do that. I keep my mouth shut. And, and surely that counts for something, right, Lord? I don't bless them, but I don't curse them either. Doesn't that mean something, Lord? Am I doing something that, that's worthy of your praise now? Jesus says, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. The people on your list right now, take a look at them. The people on your list. It is not good enough for you simply to stay silent. To not speak ill of those people. Not even worthy of God's praise for you to just sit quiet. On your outline, write this down. Indifference toward our enemies is not love. Simply being silent and not speaking ill of our enemies is not love. Love towards one, toward one's enemies includes proactively wishing and praying blessing upon them. I'll say it again. Indifference toward our enemies is not love. Simply being silent and not speaking ill of our enemies is not love. Love toward one's enemies includes proactively wishing and praying blessings upon them. Do you do this? Do you do this for the people on your list? Do you proactively speak words of, of welfare and blessing to them on behalf of them to God? Do you speak words of blessing toward your enemies? Not just empty, hollow words. For Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. From Luke, later on in Luke 6, Luke 6, 45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Think about that for a moment. So in order for me, Lord, to speak words of blessing, prayers of blessing to my enemies in order for that to come out of my mouth. I'm not just going to sit silent. That's not good enough. In order for me to heed your teaching, Jesus, I have to speak words of blessing out of my mouth, words of welfare and goodness to God on behalf of my enemies and those words, well, they can't be meaningless, they can't be empty. They can't be hollow. And I know, based on Luke 6.45, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So something, Lord, has to come from here. Something has to come from my heart in order for me to heed this teaching. I have to cultivate 
a heart of mercy and compassion toward my enemies, toward the people on this list. If I'm going to be following your teaching. Folks, we we are not even past the first verse in Luke 6. And already, I would argue to you, this is some of the most radical teaching you will ever find in the history of the world. And it's right here in the opening verses on this topic. We've barely skimmed the surface of it. And when you break it down to its core, you recognize that it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not praiseworthy for you to just sit quiet toward your enemies. God is not impressed by that. What is worthy of praise is when you look upon those enemies and speak words of blessing toward them to God. Words that are not just rote, but that come from somewhere deep in here, in your heart. And so the question, of course, arises. How in the world do I cultivate a heart of love toward my enemies? How in the world, God, do I cultivate a heart of love toward my enemies? On your outline, it begins and ends with the cross. It begins and ends with the cross. Luke 6, at the end of our passage, which we will turn to again tomorrow, or on next Sunday, Luke 6, the end of verses 35 and the beginning of 36, it says, For He, God, at the end of verse 35, is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Luke, recording the words of Jesus, gives the reason behind which undergirding the need for us to find a way, some way, to develop a heart, to cultivate a heart that has love toward our enemies. And Jesus gives this fundamental reason. He says, because God has done it. God the Father has been merciful, compassionate toward the unthankful, toward the evil of this world. And that out of His mercy, because of His mercy... We are to be merciful. Verse 36, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. We see that mercy in no greater element, no greater symbol, no greater moment in human history than the cross. That's why we say it begins and ends with the cross. The cross of Christ is the perfect expression of the Father's love and mercy toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that while we were still unthankful, ungrateful, unlovely, wicked and evil, God sent Jesus to die for us. When you ask the question, how in the world do I get love in my heart for my enemies? 
the first answer and the last answer is look at the cross. Look at the cross. Meditate upon the cross. Read the story of your redemption. Read it over and over and over again. Think about it over and over and over again until you recognize that God did that for you. You were, by all account, by all of your conduct, by all of your words, by all of your actions, you should have been God's enemy. You acted like it. We all acted like it. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, were every, we, we gave God every reason to look upon us with disdain and disgust and to turn His back on us, to curse us, and to walk away. And He didn't. You want to cultivate a heart of love for your enemies? The first step is to look at the cross. Remind yourself every day, every morning, noon, and night of what Jesus did for you. You will see a softening in your heart toward these people when your eyes are on Jesus. It will happen. And if it's not happening, you can be sure your eyes are not on Jesus. They're on yourself. It will begin to happen. Your heart will grow soft and humble and it will increase in compassion and mercy toward the people on this list if your eyes are on Jesus. And if those things aren't happening, you can be sure your eyes are not on Him. And it's a daily, (laughs) oh, it's a daily exercise. It's an hourly exercise. It's a moment-by-moment exercise because you see the condition of our heart, like a heartbeat, it fluctuates. Like a pulse rate, it skyrockets and then it drops and then it goes up and then it goes down. It's a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment experience in us to maintain that posture toward those we don't like, our enemies, toward those who have wronged us, who have hurt us, who have harmed us, who have stolen from us, who have humiliated us. We're angry at them. We're frustrated at them. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You don't remember that moment. You can't believe if I told you what they did. It can change in a moment. It can change in an hour. It can change in a minute. And it changes based on where your eyes are. Are they on the cross? Or are they on your own desire for vengeance, justice, and your own self-interest? How do I cultivate a heart of love? It begins and ends with the cross. But pastor, it's still, oh, I know that. Okay, I know that. Look at the cross. Read about my redemption. Remind myself daily. Put it just put reminders all over the house, the workplace, leave the Bible open on the, on the dining room table, in my office, in my bedroom. I, I want reminders at all times, but, but even still, God, it feels forced to speak words of blessing upon my enemies. So what else can I do? 
What else can I do to genuinely love my enemies? It feels forced, God. And to that, I, I say, yeah, it, it does feel forced. We're, we're human. And that's, again, a daily experience of ours, moment-by-moment moment experience, in which it feels very uncomfortable and strange and unorthodox to speak words of blessing to our enemies. So how can I begin down this road, God? Well, that brings us to the other side of the coin in Jesus' teaching on loving one's enemies. You see, the first side of the coin we just looked at, prayer and, and blessing, the, the words side of the coin, that's one side of the coin for loving our enemies is to speak words, to, to bless, to pray, to speak words of, of welfare and well-being and ask God to bless them. That's one side of the coin. But there's another side. And the second side is summed up in the latter half of verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. We had the word side, the blessing and the prayer, and now we come to another side of loving our enemies, to do good to them, to physically and materially do things that would show love to them. Not just words, actions. And this brings us to the other side of that coin. A wise man once said, that practice makes perfect. Write that down in your outline. Practice makes perfect, right? Practice makes perfect. We've heard that out in the world. We've heard that, uh, you know, for those training for the Olympics. We just saw the Olympics, and, and man, I'm sure those coaches time and time again, practice makes perfect, practice makes perfect. And all those athletes, that was instilled into them as they trained for their Olympic competitions. And every sports team, and, and, and all the way down, you know, whether you're in drama or sports or any kind of performance art, Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. But do you know that the theme, if you will, or the mantra of practice makes perfect is also evidenced in Scripture? It's evidenced in Scriptures like 1 Peter 1.22, in which Peter says, you'll purify your soul as you obey the truth through the Spirit. You'll purify your soul as you obey the truth through the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 6.16, he says, your steady obedience will yield the fruit of righteousness. Your steady obedience will yield the fruit of righteousness. I'm summarizing, but you can check these verses yourself on your own. And here's the one I love the most. Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, and I'll read out this one. Hebrews 11, this is what it says of Abraham. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Totally unfamiliar territory to him, not knowing where he was going, not understanding this directive of God. He went from Ur of the Chaldeans and he traveled to the land of Canaan and he didn't understand it. He didn't 
recognize what it was that God was doing, but he heard the truth of God. He heard the words of God. He heard the decree of God saying, Abram, do it. And he obeyed. He practiced. He practiced obedience to the truth, even when it sounded unorthodox and strange. And it goes on to say in verse 12, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand is by the seashore. Peter says you'll purify your soul when you humbly obey the truth through the Spirit. Paul says as you obey, you will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The author of Hebrews says as Abram went... From Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan, he did not understand it all. He didn't recognize what God was doing, but he obeyed the truth. And as he went, and as he arrived, and as he looked back on his life, God blessed Abram, who became Abraham, to be the father of many, many generations. We're establishing here, folks, that Practice, practice of the truth. Attention to obedience to the truth of God, even when it sounds strange and unorthodox and hard to follow, that when you do it time and time and time again, that practice brings about perfection. Another word for perfection in in Matthew 5, as, as Matthew relates this story, maturity, completeness, wholeness, soundness if you practice what Jesus is saying here do good to those who hate you and it feels strange to do unorthodox awkward to do good to someone who hates me that's strange God but if you do it if you practice it I'm contending and the scriptures will bear out that you will begin to cultivate a heart that is now yielding that peaceable fruit of righteousness. We need words of blessing and prayer. They need to come out of our mouths. We know it, but they can't be hollow. We know that. So they need to come from the heart because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how do I get my heart going, God? Do good to those who hate you. Do it again and again, and again, and again, it'll feel awkward, it'll feel strange, you won't like it, you won't like it every time. But if you keep doing it, if you keep practicing this truth, all of a sudden, over time, your heart will begin to change. And what I've asked you to do over here, those blessings and words, those prayers of blessings and the obedience to do good to those who hate you, they will all coalesce and you will become mature, complete, sound, healthy, whole, a person who looks upon this list of people who are your enemies and you won't hate them anymore. You will love them with the love of Christ. Jesus is giving us answers in Luke 6 about how to love our enemies. They're really hard to hear. But by faithfully obeying God and practicing this teaching, even when it feels unorthodox, we will experience spiritual renewal in our heart, in our mind, 
will experience reward, personal reward in this life and much more in the life to come. And it's not surprising, it is not surprising at all that Jesus now is going to spend the bulk of his time in Luke 6 talking about how to physically love our neighbor, how to do good to those who hate us. And the reason it's not surprising is because Jesus knows that if we practice these things, those words of blessings and prayers will be genuine because our heart will be changed and we will have arrived at loving our enemies. I don't know many who love their enemies. I know I have a ways to go. Practice is going to make perfect. Okay, Jesus, okay. We're listening. We're listening. So what do I need to practice? What do I need to practice? Oh, it's really easy, folks. You're going to love this list. You're going to love it. This is the easiest list ever. I, I, I don't, don't want to preach on it right now. I'm going to wait till next week because I just want you to read this and realize how easy it is to practice these things. You're going to read this and go, oh, this is, this is simple. When people strike me, I'm going to turn the other cheek. When people sue me, I'm going to give them more than what they want. When people ask me for things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to them. When people steal from me, I'm going to say it's okay. Actually, it's not very easy. It's really, really hard. And it's what I want us to meditate on this entire week before we preach on it. I want you to read Luke 6, 29 to 38. I want you to read it every day. I want you to meditate on it. And I want you to begin to ask yourself, of these people, can I begin to do these things toward them? Can I do it? Can I practice what God is asking me to do? Strange, strange as it sounds. And what would that do in my heart and life? What would that do for my spiritual well-being if I did it? What would that create in me? Read this over and over again. Luke 6, 29 to 38 this week. We will convene again and talk about just how easy it's going to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are uh, not surprised that some of your word is difficult to understand and to follow. But when we read things like uh, love your enemies, it, it sounds so simple, God. It sounds so simple, and we, we think we do it. We think we do a pretty good job. After all, Lord, you know we, we don't talk ill of them, at least not in public. Isn't that good enough, Lord? 
course, we're learning your answer now, God. We're learning your answer. And you're saying to us, Coast Bible Church, you are going to go much further than you've ever gone before in understanding what it means to love those who hate you. God, by your Spirit, we need open hearts, open minds. We want you to show us what it is you have for us in this great teaching. So let us meditate on it now this week. Let us be diligent to do so, God. And we we anticipate and look forward to coming again together next Sunday to unpack this together and to begin to ask ourselves whether or not we can practice the strange things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.